0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we are again in Second Peter, but we are in the final chapter. We finally made it to chapter 3. So some of you, I'm sure, lost a bet. Sorry about that, but we did make it to chapter 3. We'll begin today in chapter 3, verse 1. The title of this series has been Confirming Our Call. Second Peter is one of those epistles that's written to the church about the days ahead it's become quite evident to men like Peter and Paul that the Lord's return may be further away than they thought. This is called the delayed parousia or uh, the delayed coming of the Lord. And, and at first it seems in Paul's writings especially that he disbelieved any day the Lord would be back. He said that The dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them. But as time goes on, it becomes more evident that it's going to take a while. It may be longer than the early church had thought. So we get a great word from Peter, especially here in Second Peter, about hanging in there for the long haul. I want to start today with a question that might seem rather simple, and the answer is fairly obvious, but what is wrong with our world? What is it, and yes, sin is the answer, that is for sure. But when you look at our world, it is like almost every week, it just outdoes itself. You, you, you read about something else that just boggles the mind. And, and I, I think that, yeah, sin is the simplest answer, but there are others who've pondered this over time, men much wiser than, than myself, that I think we ought to hear from them as well. I think of a man named Alexander Shlozhenitsyn. If you don't know Shlozhenitsyn, you should get to know him. He was born in 1918, and this was about the time the Bolshevik Revolution was beginning in Russia, and he grew up and became a dissident against communism, and that almost cost him his life. It cost him his freedom for a lot of years. After the Bolsheviks, when Stalin came to power and the Soviet Union began to develop He was put in a gulag because during the war he had made a couple of comments that could have been called into question. And here's a man so brilliant, while he's in the gulag uh, itself, he receives the Nobel Peace Prize for Literature. He says this on one occasion though, and I want to read part of what he says in his acceptance speech one time for the templeton prize for progress in religion he received this in 1983 he addressed the reason for the russian revolution that resulted in the slaughter of 60 million people and maybe far more than that after spending 50 years studying this question Slozanitsyn summarized his conclusion in the words of elders that he had heard in his childhood and he simply said this, men have forgotten God. That's what happened. He watched as the Soviet Union developed and as people paid a dear price, millions of them with their lives because we as humanity have forgotten God. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, For although they did know God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They withheld two things that you never keep from God. One is gratitude and the other is honor. They didn't honor Him and they did not give thanks to Him. But they became futile, perverted, wasteful in their thinking, useless, empty-minded in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, when you hear that preached nowadays, I don't know that we tie that in so much with what's going on in the world. We just say that, well, boy, it's getting worse, and the crime rate is rising, and there are lots of things out there that 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 are bad but it has a direct correlation between our abandoning God and the idea of God as the more we have done that the worse the world has become and that will continue that according to the word of God is not going to change. John Lennox if you don't know that name I i that's another one I would highly recommend that that you spend some time reading some of his books i just finished one of his and maybe go to youtube uh, watch some of his lectures but he is a mathematician he s- teaches mathematics at oxford and he has like three doctorate degrees and but when you hear him talk he's just the sweetest fella in the world and a brilliant man and and, and, and what's so amazing about him is with all of his scientific background, he is not just a Christian. He is a born-again, evangelical, Bible-believing, teaching child of God. And I mean, you really ought to listen to him, but... He said one day, and he didn't name who it was, he spent a lot of time teaching in Russia in years past, but John Lennox said that one of his colleagues told him one time, he says, you know, John, we thought that we could abolish God and retain a value for human beings. But he says, we couldn't. And now we have murdered millions of them. So let's begin to tie it together. If our worth and value as human beings is comes from us being made in the image of God, and we know that it does because of the Word of God, the imago dei, the image of God, being made in His image... That's where human beings get their worth. That's where they get their value. But if you do away with the idea of God or you abandon the honoring of God and that no longer matters and that was exactly what communism did because they didn't want you to depend on God. They didn't want you to have anything in your life that could sustain you but the government. They wanted you to depend on that and there was a new program for this, that and the other all the time. But they wanted everything to, to, to be equal. The starting line, the finish line, all of that. They wanted the government to control everything. And, 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 and when all of that happened, things just got worse and worse because here was the problem. Some humans that didn't want to go along with it or maybe they, were seen as a problem in the way, like when Mao Zedong wanted to take China from an agrarian culture to an industrialized culture, he himself killed another 70 million people. But people began to have less and less value because God meant nothing to the world. And when you lose sight of who God is, you begin to lose sight of who people are, and the value of certain human beings is no longer sacred. I I don't have to tell you. We're there as well, America. We're there as well. There's a certain stage of development where now we value a human being as actually being human. But, but we've been fighting about that back and forth. And we've decided that, well, at part of the time it's a clump of cells, part of the time it's a fetus or whatever, and we have taken away the value of human beings. And people no longer get their value from, human, from, be, from the uh, being made or created in the image of God. So we ourselves have done some of this very same thing. Until we have a revival starting in our churches as to who God is and putting Him in His rightful place, the decay will continue to accelerate. So Peter helps us. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, this is now the second letter I am writing to you. Beloved, in both of them I am stirring up your sincere minds by way of a reminder, I am trying to stir you up, and I, I, we, we need that. We need a stirring. Sometimes uh, it, it's like every Sunday morning when we pray, at least one of the brothers will pray for revival in our world. We need that. We need to be awakened. We need to have a wake-up call, but, but I gotta tell you, honestly, unless it begins in the house of God, it's never going to start anywhere else. It it has to begin with us. Nowadays, we have so many different versions of this Christianity thing, and, and people have so many personalized, subjective beliefs that belief nowadays is really kind of an exercise in personal autonomy. You, you can believe what you like and, and, and we'll believe what we like and, and there's all kinds of different uh, uh, ways of looking at all of these things and, and I can tell you right now, we're, we're going to face it if we stand for the truth. I, I want to go ahead and warn you now, Christians, if we stand... For the objective truth that we find in the Word of God, the absolute truth that is eternal and never changing, we are going to make enemies. It's not going to be easy, I can tell you. Churches nowadays have kind of they're looking for intellectual respectability someone has said so we spiritualize certain beliefs like the virgin birth or the resurrection of Jesus many believe in God but they really don't have any kind of uh, consciousness of the fact that they have been separated from God by sin so they see him as a friend as a buddy they may see him as a big Santa in the sky that that loves and cares about them a lot more than preacher Mike does because preacher Mike calls them sinners and, and God just cuddles them and, and loves them and tells them neither do I condemn you and, and boy they feel good about themselves and they just go right on with their life. They have, they, they, they have a resurrection they think but, but they've never had a cross. They, they feel like they've had redemption or they want that but there is no Repentance. And that's a serious, serious problem. I can warn you now, the more we speak the truth, and we have to do it, and I don't mean you have to go out on the street corner. I'm talking about to our friends and family. Sometimes we have to look right there. We're, I mean, and this is where the sparks are going to fly. But if we stand for the truth and we confront the lies that are coming from this world, we will make people mad. And you say, well, Pastor, how can you guarantee that? i got a great personality and..." And and I, I'm not like you. I, I can make a point without ticking everybody off. Good for you. I, I wonder why Jesus never did figure out how to do that. Because Jesus says, the world will hate you. Why? Because it first hated me. They hated Jesus. Man. Verse 2, he says that you should remember. The predictions of the holy prophets, that's one group, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior, that's our second message, and then the apostles. So we've got the message from three places. The Old Testament from the very word, lips of our Savior and through the apostles. Now Nowadays, uh, it, it is very popular to look at certain things and say, well, that's Old Testament or... or or, you know if you bring up something uh, about God's design and and creation or some word from Leviticus especially people will ask you these snide uh, ignorant questions like well I hope you're not boiling a goat in its mother's milk either And they bring up some snide ceremonial law that has already been fulfilled in Christ and all of that. But what they like to do is they like to take the whole thing and discard what God's Word has to say about everything and just decide that that's old-fashioned, it's archaic, it's for another time, we've grown beyond that, it's time to move on. And they love saying that. Now, they love Jesus. Oh, yes, They'll, boy, and, and a lot of people who love to cling to the teachings of Jesus, they will even reject the apostle Paul. There is a, there is a popular movement nowadays among liberal Christians to totally reject Paul. Get rid of all of that stuff about women that can't be preachers and all that stuff about the complementary roles of husbands and wives. They say all of that's old Pauline stuff. Just give me Jesus. Hallelujah. What did Jesus say? Let's just set Paul to the side for a second. Give him the day off. If you were on Bible Jeopardy and they asked you to, and I think they do this backwards, so that's probably the wrong show I just picked. But who in the New Testament taught more about hell than anybody else? Not even close, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus that looked at a man and said, "Do you want to be well?" The man was sitting there trying to tell Jesus all about his problems. You know that listening ear that I want to know about you, and I want you to tell me your challenges and, and, and all of that and and, and the guy was telling Jesus all of these things about, well, I've been here 38 years. And I've been hanging out with people, boy, ding, 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 who are just as sick as me. And they can't help me, and I can't help them. And I've been lying here 38 years. And when the angel comes to stir the waters, there's no one to put me in. And you know what Jesus said? He didn't start out with, oh, I hate that. Or, boy, you know how people, I bet they're Baptists. They claim to love water, but nah, they're not too crazy about it when it rains. (laughs) And I'd have to admit, that I believe I agree with that. Jesus never even responded to a thing the man said. He looked at him and said, do you want to be well? That's a great question for a lot of people. I used to think that was a stupid question. Really, and I wasn't saying Jesus asked stupid questions, but I thought it'd be dumb for me to ask somebody, do you want to be well? Because I thought everybody would want to be well, but I can tell you right now, after doing this for a long time and and meeting a lot of people, there are folks out there that they are sick and they want to stay sick. They have not found their identity and significance in being created in the image of God, but they now identify with a sickness in their life. And if that's not enough, we have CRT nowadays, critical race theory. It'll help you to identify with other things in your life. And you can find attention and and, and you can find all the things you're looking for in in life by identifying with all of those kind of foolish things. I, I can just tell you, it's not a dumb question for a lot of people to ask them, do you really want to be well? Do you really want that drunk husband to get saved, or are you getting enough mileage out of it and attention and pity and sympathy that deep down inside you just soon he stay a drunk? I've seen that happen. I mean, I've seen it happen <laughs> in real life. But Jesus looked at a woman one time. In the very next chapter, that was in chapter, or, or in chapter four, the previous chapter of, of the Gospel of John in chapter four, he looks at a woman, he says, you have said, well, you don't have a husband, you've had five husbands. I don't sound like the Jesus we keep hearing about. Why would he bring up her past and throw it in her face like that? And, and, and why would he hit her so hard with, with such truth? And, and, I bet she wasn't the only one in that little town that had had multiple marriages. We could say all kinds of things. I'm telling you, it was Jesus Christ himself that confronted this woman with the truth. And in the end, you remember what she said, Come meet a man who told me everything I have done. Somebody finally quit dilly-dallying around with me and confronted The guilt and shame that has festered in my soul. It was Jesus one time that sent away a multitude of people hungry. That's hard to believe, is it not? I used to ask sometimes in church, "Did Jesus ever send away people that were hungry without feeding them? But I learned quickly, and I'm saying this fast, I'm trying to outdo you, because I learned quickly if you ask that, and pause, somebody will go, No! That's because you've not read John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, when the multitude came for food and they were hungry and Jesus could not get them to stop focusing on their temporal need and think about their eternal needs, the real needs they had in their life, He sent them away and did not feed them one bite. I don't know. We may need a new Jesus after this. I'm with you. I like Him. Who preached in the New Testament and said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring division. He said in one house you'll have four going one way and five going another. Right there inside a household, brother against sister, moms and 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 children against each other and fathers and sons, the dearest relationships we have. He said, don't even think that I came to bring peace because I came to bring a sword. You're going to have problems with your family. If, uh, uh, and some of the dearest relationships you have, if you stand with Jesus Christ and you love Him and live for Him. Who was it in the New Testament that the very first sermon He preached was repent? It was Jesus Christ. You can look it up. He preached repent. And then He went on last of all, and we could go on and on, but last of all Jesus said not only repent in His first sermon, but later on He would tell us that but most never will. In Luke 12, verse 4, he says, I tell you, friends, listen to this. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Don't, don't, don't fear being executed physically. He said, but I warn you to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He was not talking about the devil. He says, you need to fear God. This world can only do so much to you. But you can die and go to hell if you ignore God. He says, fear him. I I just want us to understand that we have so downgraded Scripture and we have so personalized it and we have so turned Jesus Christ and Christianity and the church, we, we, have, we have so made it like us and about us. We even love saying things in our churches like, boy, I like going there because I can be myself. Man, being you was why you needed church to start with. That's what got you in trouble, being you. Oh, I like going there because I feel comfortable. Here's a better question. Does God feel comfortable here? That's a question we ought to ask ourselves. There, there, there are people that I saw one preacher this week, and I know him and I love him, but boy, he was giving those churches that... That, that turn the lights down and it gets dark. Oh, oh man, he was giving them a wallop. And I thought, yeah, you go ahead, brother. You're talking about us. I, I'm, I'm just saying to you, I don't care if you have the lights up, lights down, curtains up, curtains closed. I don't care about any of that. What we ought to ask ourselves is, does the Spirit of God, is it welcome here? And do we feel the presence of God when we come to this place? Well... He says, knowing this, verse 3, first of all, that scoffers, they will come. We've been dealing with them already. In the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Scoffers, a great definition that I found for them as they treat lightly that which should be taken seriously. They don't really take it seriously. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 1, The psalmist says that blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. You notice some are standing, some are walking, but the scorners, (laughs) they're sitting. And that's a great place for them because they'll always figure out how somebody else should have done it what they themselves could have done if they hadn't been too backslid and lazy to start with, but they can always figure out how you should have done it or how it could have been done better. That is the perfect example of a scoffer. And people scoff. And why do they scoff? He says because they're following their sinful desires. So if you want to have a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex, you just scoff at what God's Word has said about or or of the same sex, you you just scoff at what God's Word has to say about it. If you want a different design for marriage or, or you want church to be a different way other than the way the Bible has outlined it already, then you just scoff at those things because of your sinful desires. Not because you've been enlightened, not because you're more modern, not because you're woke but it's our sinful desires that drive us away from the truth of God here's one great example I may have shared it with you before but it's one of the best ones I've ever seen as to just how far we are willing to go to call ourselves Christians but yet stray from what the Word of God says about being one, Greta Vosper. It's a woman. She is the pastor of West Hill United in Scarborough, Ontario. Now, some would say, Pastor Mike, you will, you, you wouldn't allow her to be a pastor because she's a woman. First of all, I would say this: just forget about what Pastor Mike will allow. Or think, or feel, or believe. Just go to the New Testament. And yeah, it was Paul that said it. But all of that's designed in Scripture. It's not putting people down, it's a design that God put together for His church and for the family. But Greta Vosper's got other issues that are more interesting than just the fact that she is a female pastor. Greta Vosper is an atheist. She is a pastor in what she calls a Christian church. But she mocks and trivializes God's existence. And she says we have replaced him at our church with our own personal moral code. Because she says belief in God belongs to an outdated world view. And she says, oh, I remain captivated by the ministry being explored by my congregation. Man, how can you claim that you are a Christian pastor and be an atheist? That's how far it's gone. As a matter of fact, there are websites you can go to for Christian atheism. I, I, I just, that's like a website for fat, skinny people, you know? I identify as 6'6 six, six, and, and weigh less than I do. I, I, I'm just saying to you, Al Mohler said in, in his book, The Gathering Storm, he says, at the heart of this great intellectual shift that we've had in our world is a secular reframing of reality. Our world's at war with Reality. Things that absolutely, you you don't even have to be a Christian. You may have never read the Bible in your life, but our world has become so depraved that we can't tell up from down or left from right. It's incredible what has happened. And then in verse 4, he says, And they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep. Now, you think about this. Does this not fit us today? For ever since the fathers, the prophets of old, Abraham, the patriarchs, ever since they died, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is the promise of His coming? This is a Hebrew expression because in the book of Malachi they said, where is this God of justice in Malachi chapter 2? In Psalm 42 they asked the psalmist, where is your god it's another way of saying we do not believe that it even exists or will even come to pass they asked jeremiah jeremiah 17 says where is the word of the lord that you keep talking about god addresses it in the book of ezekiel chapter 12 of ezekiel in verse 22 he says son of man that's his favorite name for ezekiel He says, what is this proverb that you have going about the land of Israel? Say, the days grow long and every vision just comes to nothing. He says, tell them therefore, thus says the Lord God. I will put an end to this proverb. And they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are near and the fulfillment of every vision. You see, Peter knew by the direction of the Holy Spirit that one day we would be sitting here in 2023 and that people all around us and sometimes even maybe us would be wondering, is He really coming back? It just doesn't seem like that could happen. This this rapture thing, you know, where where people are like just missing. Man, what what that that just that's hard to wrap your mind around. And if you're not real careful, your mind winds up being God, and and your mind if it doesn't fit in there, then then it just quits being true. And all you need is a lot of time, and and it just seems like man, things are just rocking along and 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 how in the world could that be what if you were on a jet uh and the pilot was a christian if we really believed in the rapture i wonder if we wouldn't be asking that when we got on plane if we weren't one ourselves because somebody's got to fly that thing when he leaves but our minds just can't really wrap around that. And, and Jesus told us, he says, "Yeah, he says, I know. it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. And he doesn't name off a big long list of sins in Noah's day. He says they were just going about doing the normal things, but he says, after Noah preached for 120 years, they still thought he was an idiot. They couldn't wrap their mind a flood. Oh yeah. It's never rained. I don't even know if they knew what rain was. It just, oh, yeah, oh, oh, it's going to fall, fall out of the sky. Could you imagine all the cool jokes they could make up about Noah? And yet today our national oceanic whatever organizations call Noah. But I'm just telling you, just think of all the things and and all of the the way the other kids probably laughed at Noah's kids. Oh, yeah, your daddy's a dude building the boat, huh? I can tell you, and I know we've already said it in this sermon series, dads, we got to be willing to do some things that may look stupid to the world. It may not make any sense to the world. It may look ridiculous. It may look like it's over the top. It may sound legalistic, but dads, if we are going to protect our families from what is coming, we're going to have to be like Noah. And we're going to have to be willing to look stupid in some people's eyes. You know, the more I get to know people, though, the less I'm bothered by looking stupid in their eyes. And the more they talk, the better I feel about it. It's amazing. Verse 5. For they will deliberately overlook this fact. It's not an accident. They deliberately overlook it. It's not just something they see differently, no. They intentionally overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. At one time, the place was covered with water. God separated the water from the land and then water came back. His whole point here is this. God can flood the world, he can dry the world, he can separate the land from the water, he can take the water away, he can bring the water back. Here's a great word for you. God can do anything he wants to do. And I wonder how impressed he is when we think in our minds, cuz he can read our thoughts. When we're sitting around thinking that just don't make sense. I bet that bothers him that he doesn't make sense to us so incredible the earth was formed out of water when you think about what god did so long ago i love i love so much about genesis especially in the first 11 chapters but Think about the whole message of creation when he, in in Genesis 1-1, he says that the earth, he, in in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was, was, was void. It was empty. It was chaotic. Water covered the earth. I don't know how much time there is between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, but there was something here after Genesis 1-1 that God's spirit moved upon that, and then God went to work and he started to make it in his image something that would reflect him he started out first of all demonstrating that I can take nothing and I can make everything that's an awesome truth is it not and I don't mean to go get you all worked up scientifically I'm just telling you, He can take nothing. Some of you, could you testify to that? Could you say, yep, He took me. He took me and I was nothing. He took me and I was worse than nothing. Some of you might say, I passed nothing on the back wheel, Pastor. I was worse than nothing. What I did have was terrible and God took nothing and He's made everything for me. Wow! How was the message from creation? He also took that which was empty and chaotic. Bahu and Tahu. Two Hebrew words. You ought to remember those. It was Bahu and Tahu. And when you get to be Bahu and Tahu, you got trouble. Because that means you're empty and you're chaotic. He took both of them. And and first of all, he brought light where there was darkness and where there was confusion because it's his nature. His nature is not a God of confusion, but... He took confusion and gave it order. And He separated night from day. He separated the land from the water. He separated the morning from the evening. He separated the animals from humans. And believe it or not, He separated males from females. Because that is who God is. And when He makes something, He makes it in His image. There's some of you sitting here today. Man, I I know he's got to be tired of me talking about him, but I sit there today and I'm sitting beside Sam. He's grinning now, shaking his head. I'm just telling you, God touched his life. And when God took all the bahu and tahu that Sam could muster, He transformed Sam's life into something that demonstrates the image of God. But why take Sam? I know Sam, he was an extreme case, but we all were. It didn't take any more work to fix Sam than it did to fix me. Or Billy Graham, or anybody else. That's what God can do. That is the whole message of it. But if we start to ignore who God is, then we very quickly begin to lose who we are. Psalm 33 9 says, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. How did he create the world? It was through his word. He spoke it in the Hebrew if we translated it word for word it would be light be and God said light be and light was if you don't do anything else but just look at those verses in the Hebrew you may not understand a single word of them but one thing you will notice those verses are really short Because in the original language, God said. And as a matter of fact, God just kept on speaking nine times. Nine times it says in Genesis 1, and God said. He spoke it, and it happened. So, what is the point that Peter's trying to make with us? Well, just like he spoke this place into being. And we can see it, and the evidence of it every day of our lives. When He says one day I'm going to judge that world. And one day the world as you know it will be no more. I'm going to come against ungodliness. Just as certain as He made the ground on which we walk. Just as certain as the law of gravity. Or nuclear fission. Just as certain as any of that we can count on one day when God says, I will judge this world. We can believe Him. Because it's going to happen. And verse 6, And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water, and they perished. One more verse. But by the same word, verse 7, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. It's like they've been laid aside like a pile of wood. They have been, he says he is keeping them. This world is kept by God for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. As we close today, I want you to think about something. Something. We see it every day. We might try to deny it. We might try to ignore it. You got friends. I got friends. I just tell you, we have family members. Every one of us most likely. They shake their fist at God. Maybe not physically, but they do their own thing. They do whatever it is they want to do, and and the destruction of their lives. One day God will destroy all ungodliness, but we watch them now. Do Do we not see them ruining their lives with the decisions that they are making? I wonder sometimes, why are we not more outspoken about that? Why instead of just trying to keep consoling people every time they do something else that's dumb or stupid or anti-God or or sinful, why do we just keep feeling like, well, our our place is just to be there for them? Yeah, great, be there for them, but tell them the truth. Tell them that in Proverbs, God has already said in 13.15, of the book of Proverbs, that the way of the transgressor is hard. Why is your family in shambles? Why does it look like a circus at your house? Why another divorce and remarriage? Why are the kids absolutely gone bonkers? Why are those things happening? The way of the transgressor, my friend, is a hard road. It's a hard road. And it's not, oh, we sometimes say, oh, what a tragedy. You know, most of the things nowadays we call tragedies are choices. We act like, oh, it just happened. It it was just terrible the way that happened. They they were so young, or or, or that family seemed to have it all together, or, or I just can't believe that something like that could could take place it just it's such a tragedy no most of the time it's a choice that somebody made it's a choice to walk the way that's not of God and that's a hard way to walk hard way to walk I think we have to be loving but see we've redefined that too have we not loving is just accepting whatever you do and sometimes we are so emotionally needy. We need that person to like us so badly. We'll say whatever we know. The jargon coming out of our mouth is not true. We know we ought to be telling them, "Look, you are wrecking your life. What are you thinking?" But oh, sometimes we need them to love us. It feels so good. It's it's like a it's it's like a. Uh, high we get, that, that dopamine of oh of they like me and, and they know I stuck with them. They came to church one time, Preacher Mike made them mad. They quit. I called them. I told them he makes me mad too sometimes. <laughs> I hope I do. I hope I make you mad enough to quit lying to people that you're supposed to love. And watching them rot and make foolish decisions that destroys their life. Let's be light in this darkness. Let's be light. We're not called to fit in. And and here it is again. I'm going to say this as I close. But if the world is not hating us, there's something wrong. And I'm not saying now you need to go out tomorrow and make sure the world hates you. You won't have to try. Just speak the truth. Say the things that Jesus said. And He said they will hate you. Because they first hated me. We have to speak the truth. We have to. They need to hear it so, so badly. Let's pray. Our fathers, we come to You right now, God. We thank You for this Word You've given us, Lord. Sometimes, God, it does seem like it's been an awfully long time since You left. Sometimes, God, our minds begin to wonder and think about when will it be? Will it ever be? When will You come? How will that look? God, sometimes when it doesn't fit into our common sense thinking, Lord, the doubts plague us. I pray, God, You'll help us to know that You keep Your promises, God. And I pray, Lord, You'll help us. First of all, to be so grateful that, that You saved us. That You died on the cross for our sinfulness, God. You reconciled us to You. We didn't reconcile You to us, God. And help us to stop trying to do that. Lord, let us allow you to reconcile us to you, your thinking, your truth, God. I pray you'd help us. And Lord, I pray for the world around us. God, I know you love these people. And I know, Lord, sometimes I fail miserably at speaking the word to them. Lord, it's so much easier for me to stand here and preach to Christians than it is, Lord, to confront someone who's destroying his or her life. God, I'm such a hypocrite to even stand here and preach about it. I know it's hard, and I avoid it, God, like others do. I pray You help us, God. Wake us up, God. Revive us. Stir us, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.